Hello, my name is Pancakes, and welcome to this brand new episode of Media Buffet. Today I am joined by Khaled, was it, right? Yep, that's right. That's me. All right. Khaled here is a guest host from the 4040 Vision podcast, and he is co-hosting with me the Media Buffet episode that is going to be focusing on the 2022 FIFA World Cup, which, if you guys didn't know, is arguably the biggest sporting event every four years. So, yeah, we're going to discuss some of the highlights of the event in here, and yeah, let's just see how it goes. For those of you who are in World Cup format, there are 32 countries who play each other in the sport of association football, the real football, and yeah, basically those 32 teams get split into eight groups of four, and they play against each other once at the venue. This year, the World Cup was held in Qatar, and since it was held in Qatar, many of the stadiums were, of course, in Qatar. Of course, there's some mild controversies into how they actually prepared for the World Cup, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk football and only football. So, we're going to be starting with the initial phase of the tournament, which I just described, the group stage. Each team plays each other in their group once, and... <coughs> Sorry, I had a little bit of raspy fun um, throat back there. And... Yeah, they play each other once, and the top half of each group qualifies into the next round. Now, let's start with you, Khaled. What are some of the highlights that you think were the best moments of this part of the World Cup? Yeah, there there's quite a few. I think uh, early on, the, the big highlight was definitely uh, Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. Uh, Obviously, Argentina went on to win the World Cup, so this was quite a massive upset for Saudi Arabia, a you know much smaller footballing country in Asia, to defeat Saudi uh, to, to defeat Argentina. Obviously, one of the premier teams in in world football. Um, the other highlight definitely was Morocco advancing out of the uh, group stage. Uh, Morocco is not the biggest footballing country. They have you know plenty of talent that plays in Europe but they were definitely not favored to advance from the group stage and then they were able to make a pretty deep run we can talk about that a little bit later um, and i think in general was just um the excellence that we saw from both both france and argentina the two eventual teams that made the final and they, they started to come on really strong in the second half of the group stage honestly yeah i do think that if anything, the this World Cup, this edition of the World Cup was highlighted by three words. Passion and triumph. Many teams which, that were expected to move on actually ended up falling short. Many teams that were expected to not make any noise at all expect them actually ended up making it deep into the tournament. Or not that deep, but further than the group stage. Some examples of this, and these are also my highlights, are basically um but i forgot the scenario oh yeah it was basically like as you said morocco making some noise also um poland triumphing over mexico over goal difference that was something because to me mexico had the better talent on paper but we don't know how it is mexico has 
unusually and unfortunately the fame of not doing well in continental or international tournaments and yeah <clears throat> another example of of some of the highlights of this world cup is basically brazil oh wait no we're at a group stage my bad oh yeah actually brazil losing to cameroon because this was the final game of their group and for each other and basically I think it was Vincent Abubakar that scored the winning goal in that game. And hold on, can you check that, Kelly? Can you check if it was Abubakar? Yeah, it was, and he got a—I believe he got a yellow card, then got sent off for that uh, that celebration at the end. Yeah, Brazil had already topped the, their group at that point, so yeah, they, they won nothing if they lost that game. I mean, they didn't lose anything if they lost that game, so yeah, they just went in and subbed a lot of their big players like Neymar and Richarlison and basically they threw away the game because Abubakar scored the winning goal in the last minutes of the game and then got sent off because of him taking his shirt off. I think that's one of the funniest parts of the tournament as well because imagine that. Yeah, it, at, it was pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah, at the time Brazil was ranked number one. So yeah, just Im imagine like beating the number one ranked nation in the world and then getting sent off for scoring the goal against them like that is very funny another thing about funny with brazil in this tournament is not that related to the world cup but as since we're recording this in august 2023 um the following premier league season had already ended and yeah fifa made a video on youtube listing the best goals of the tournament and number one, it was Richarlison's bicycle kick against Serbia, I think it was. It sounds right. It was definitely a group stage game. But basically, I find it really funny how he pulled off one of the greatest goals of the tournament, according to FIFA, but then only managed to score a single goal in its Premier League season for Tottenham the next season. That's like the biggest backfiring moment. A lot of nations started like bringing on players that struck them hearts out in the World Cup, but then failed miserably in the domestic leagues. Like, yeah, one example is Richarlison because he only scored one goal the entire season, not to mention Tottenham's abysmal table placement. And yeah, basically what I was going to say is, <coughs> I'm completely sorry, I have a throat problem right now. Aside from Richarlison, I think another um, an example of this, and Khalid, I know you have, you ha you might have a mouthful to say about this, but Enzo Fernandez won the Young Player of the, of the Tournament Award with Argentina, which caused Chelsea and Boeli to sign him for a ridiculous amount of money. And yeah, he just didn't play that big of a role in Chelsea's rest of the season, the following, yeah, the following after the World Cup. And the reason why I bring it up is because Many players tend to strike out during the World Cup, as I mentioned, but then just completely fall out, fall out. They completely get out of shape and just mess it all up. So, yeah, what do you think of cases like Richarlison or, more importantly, Enzo Fernandez that end up just becoming abysmal after the tournament? Yeah, I mean, for Richarlison, I think he just um, he's playing in a in a different style uh, with Brazil. He's kind of an out and out forward. He's starting every game for them and. He just he's surrounded by a lot of incredible offensive talent 
Um, and then when you look at, at Tottenham, they went through a, a transition a transition season. Um, they didn't do so well on the table. And it, it's kind of hard to replicate that same success and that same uh, connection with his other teammates. And I think you could say the same for Enzo. He obviously had an incredible tournament with Argentina, earned that big money move to Chelsea. But it was definitely a transition season for Chelsea. You know, they, they go through two or three managers. They uh, fire Grant Potter. Or, Early on, they fired Grant Potter just after, I think it was 10 matches or so. Uh, so it was hard for him to find his place in the team, I think, with so much turnover and so many players being in and out of the, the lineup. So I have faith that he'll be able to come back strong. Um, but another player that did really well at the World Cup and did nothing for his club uh, was another Chelsea player and, and Hakim Ziyech, who was dynamite for Morocco, one of the driving forces for the team. But did nothing for Chelsea, didn't even get to play much. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the role that he played for Morocco. I think he operated more as a 10 for Morocco and he was kind of stuck out on the wing for Chelsea. So it it comes down to, you know, players feeling comfortable, players feeling confident, and then also where they're being played on, on the pitch matters quite a bit. So it's a lot, a lot of factors to account for. Yeah, a lot of people seem to forget that not exactly the same position they can play for the nation is the exact same that they're good at for the domestic club. An example is Trent Alexander-Arnold, who has recently been popping off. Remember, this is being recorded in August of 2023. And he wasn't that highlighted during the World Cup because a lot of more eyes were on Jude Bellingham and and somehow Harry Maguire, who you know is better, is 10 times better for his nation than his club at any given moment. But yeah, basically, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold did make appearances for that World Cup team. Um, but yeah, he's still being played a lot on defense when he is actually very good as a midfielder. He was actually played as a midfielder recently in England's match in the Euros. I think it was against Macedonia. And they won by a lot. And Trent Alexander-Arnold even scored a goal in that. So yeah, I think a big contributing factor to player success in for their nations is knowing what positions they're good at as opposed to what they play. If they're good at what they play, then fine. But if you can find a hidden talent um, in another position that isn't the one they play in, then go ahead. For example, I think Luis Suarez and is a winger or was a winger for Barcelona and most recently Gremio, but he is a striker for Uruguay. Either him or Darwin Nunes, I'm not sure, but yeah, basically he switches positions between nation and club. And speaking of Uruguay, um, yeah, his the, the Uruguayan national team was kind of a tricky position this group stage because on the final days it was kind of a heat because, you know, and like in the last edition South Korea started making noise so what do you think about that yeah they were one of the disappointments I think uh, Uruguay not making it out of the group stage um, was uh, a big surprise because they were definitely favored in a group with Portugal South Korea and, and Ghana and I think the other big uh, well two other big shocks were Germany not qualifying um, and Japan winning that group and of course, Belgium, uh, who probably has some of the most talented players on paper, not making it out. So it was a not a great uh, tournament for the European big names, of course, with France being the exception. 
but a lot of the Asian teams really stepped up against South Korea and, and Japan, who both uh, advanced from their groups. So I think for Uruguay, this was the last tournament for some of their older big name players. You mentioned Luis Suarez, I think Edison Cavani and a few other of the older players from the generation that uh, went pretty far, I believe, in, in South Africa and in Brazil in the past couple World Cups. They're just reaching the end of that generation. So a lot of European and, and other big name teams definitely didn't qualify because, you know, they just weren't good enough. And it was definitely a, a pro-Asia World Cup, which makes sense because it was being played in Asia. So, yeah. Yeah, it does make some geographical sense. And basically, all eyes were on the Asian nations, as you mentioned. Um, South Korea was making a lot of noise because, you know, they upstaged Portugal, um, similar to Brazil being trounced by Cameroon. They did upstage Portugal during the final minutes of their group game in the final day of the group stage, which actually caused Uruguay to go down because South Korea and Uruguay were on a tight race for that second place spot in their group because Portugal topped the group comfortably, not like the later stages of the tournament. But yeah, basically, um, Uruguay and South Korea were racing for that second spot and it was all depending on this game's result. But what happened was that all eyes were all eyes were set for Uruguay to go on and Korea to fall out because no one expected South Korea to qualify for the later stages because again, South Korea, like Morocco and Japan, aren't expected to make a lot of noise until they actually get to the World Cup. That's just been the way it is for a long time, but it's actually changing after this tournament. And that gives a lot to say. So basically, South Korea scored in the final minutes against Portugal. And yeah, he they, they, this caused Uruguay to fall out and not make it to the latter parts of the tournament. So I think one of the most famous moments of this internet exchange is basically stance and yeah, it is a sad. When you see um, Luis Suarez's background, he was part of that magical 2010 squad that made it to the semifinals with Diego Forlan and stuff. He was a magical player for his his team. And yeah, it's sad to see that he went out like this to an unfortunate situation like that. But hey, every coin has two sides and this is just one of those situations. interruption folks we had some slight technical difficulties on Khaled's end so I'm going to continue the episode alone due to the fact that he could not continue the episode with us this evening so yeah basically now we're moving on to the knockout stages of the 2022 World Cup and that is when any team that loses their match gets automatically eliminated Osea once they lose, they're gone. And yeah, as I said before, the format gives it so that only the top two teams from each group advance to the next stage, which is the knockout stages. And in total, 16 teams would advance. And yeah, basically, the 16 teams that advanced from this tournament, from group, I'm going to detail them from group A to group H, basically, 
from group A, I'm pretty sure that the ones who advanced were the Netherlands and Senegal. They advanced in knockout stage. The ones who got knocked out are Ecuador and Qatar. Group B, England and the US moved on, and Iran and Wales got knocked out. Group C, Argentina, the eventual you-know-what, and Poland advanced in the knockout stages, while Mexico and Saudi Arabia got knocked out. That is a particular case because when you take this stage specifically, I watched every match because, you know, Argentina, and except for the Saudi Arabia one with Argentina, and I watched the Mexico-Poland one, I was on a cruise when I watched that fun fact, and I watched the Mexico-Saudi Arabia one, and and I also watched the Poland-Saudi Arabia one where Lewandowski scored his first goal for Poland ever, by the way, but yeah, basically, um, what happens there is that Poland advanced on goal differential, because the rules of the World Cup are that the teams with the most points advance, and since both Mexico and Poland had four points, they had to decide it on goal differential, which is how many goals they scored versus how many scores they got scored against, and yeah, Poland had a zero differential, Mexico had negative one, so Poland moved on. What would have happened differently if Mexico moved on instead of Poland? I don't know, because they would have faced France. So, yeah, speaking about that, now for Group D, we have France and Australia, who moved on, and Tunisia and Denmark, surprisingly, got eliminated. Denmark was expected to do better in this World Cup. Japan and Spain got eliminated from, I mean, got advanced to the knockout stages in Group E, and Germany and Costa Rica got knocked out. This is actually really funny to mention because Japan has been one of the one of those upset teams in the past two tournaments, while Spain has been making their rounds recently. But Germany, they actually made themselves world champions eight years ago, and it's actually sad to see them go out like this because. It's actually really dumb. It is actually very dumb. A lot of people expected them to do a, a whole lot better, especially since they have a stacked team. They have people like Tony Cruz, Thomas Mueller, and recent additions like Eden Hazard. No, that's Belgium. My bad. Uh, recent additions like Kai Havertz. And yeah, that's just one bit of why they shouldn't have been eliminated. Either way, they would have been eliminated anyways because Spain advanced with their differential because they mollywopped Costa Rica 7-0. So yeah, there's that. That's group E. As for group F, Morocco and Croatia actually advanced. Morocco actually topped their group, surpassing current top five teams in the world, Croatia. And it's actually very surprising to see that because Morocco was not expected to do well at all. They were like the surprise team. And Belgium and Canada got knocked out. Belgium is actually probably the biggest disappointment because at the time of the tournament they were ranked number two in the world and they're still ranked really high, which they shouldn't be because they don't have as well-rounded of a team as compared to the other parts of the world. So the fact that they're really up in the rankings is just a result of them winning a lot. They don't actually have a very well-rounded team. And fun fact, Canada made one of their very limited appearances in the World Cup in this tournament and they scored their first goal like three minutes in against Croatia I think it was and 
yeah, basically, um, yeah, Alfonso Davies ended up scoring that. So, yeah, he gained Hall of Fame status on that, probably. As for Group G, Brazil, obviously, and Switzerland ended up moving on, and Cameroon and Serbia got knocked out. What's funny is that I watched the Brazil-Cameroon match, and Vincent Abubakar ended up scoring the only goal of the entire tour- I mean, the entire match in the 92nd minute in extra time, which is really funny. Technically, Brazil did bench a lot of their players because they were going to win anyways, so yeah, to go to the matches. And the final group, which we discussed before moving on, Portugal topped their group, and South Korea followed. This last match day was actually crazy because I was actually at school when this happened in here. So I was saying, um, I was actually in school when this match day was happening, and there were a lot of, of making. There were a lot of news of these of these matches that were making the rounds, because I believe it was South Korea versus Ghana. That was playing? No. It was South Korea v. Portugal, actually. My bad. That's why I was surprised. Because Portugal were playing. And I'm pretty sure they did put Ronaldo in this match. But even then, they scored a lot of upset goals. Like, the last match, I think it was 2-1 Portugal. Orta scored in the 5th minute for Portugal. And Kim Jong-un scored in the 27th. The one that actually upset the entire thing was Huang Kichang, who scored... Nine in the 91st minute to make it 2-1 for Portugal. I mean, for South Korea. It's actually really surprising. This is what led to the entire, you know, um, Uruguay getting knocked out thing because that one only they only scored twice, uh, 2-0, both by the Arasqueta for Uruguay, and and yeah, it's basically the the teams that made it in. The teams that made it in were, I repeat, Netherlands in Netherlands and Senegal in Group A, England and US in Group B. Group C, Argentina and Poland. Group D, France and Australia. Group E, uh, Japan and Spain. Group F. We just discussed this. How can how do I keep forgetting the groups? Yeah, Group F, Morocco, Croatia. Group G, Brazil and Switzerland. And Group H, Portugal and South Korea. Now, on to the knockout stages. I'm only going to discuss the highlights because I'm not going to discuss every single match that happened, as I did with as I did not with the group stages either. So yeah, some of the highlights that happened in this. Um, yeah, some of the highlights that happened in this part of the stage, I mean, part of the tournament, is overall in the entire knockout stages, which is round of 16 until the final, Lionel Messi made history by breaking multiple records. And he broke one record in becoming the first ever player to score in every single stage of the World Cup. He scored in the group stages against Mexico and Saudi Arabia. He also scored in the round of 16, as well as the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the final. From the goals that I remember, I'm pretty sure he scored in the semifinals against Croatia. Um, 
He also scored two goals against France in the final. In the quarterfinals, I don't think I don't I I don't know which one what the goals was what he scored, but yeah, I think it was that that one race. I'm not sure. And he also scored against Australia in the 11-16. So yeah, um, let's break these down. There's a lot of matches to discuss here, and I'm only going to discuss some of their aspects. Um, Netherlands US was a beatdown, three to one. They didn't do much in this tournament. People expected the US to pass, but I, I think that a lot of more people watched Iran versus US than Netherlands US because at the time of the match, Iran was facing a lot of backlash because um, at the time they had some pretty heated protests in Tehran over women's rights to wear the veil or not to wear the veil. And yeah, basically there was a lot of tension around this match, kind of like a Soviet Union and US match in any sport of the Olympics during the Cold War. That's basically the energy that this match had. And not to that extent, but you know. And for Argentina, Australia, as I said, Argentina 1-2-1. And yeah, a lot of people were expecting Australia to put up a fight, which they did. But yeah, um, overall, not that exciting of a match. I don't remember a lot of good things that came from it. So yeah. Now for one of the most heated matches of the round of 16, Japan versus Croatia. Japan versus Croatia was a really heated match because it was back. I watched a lot of this match and it was back and forth for the entirety of the sequence. It was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Maeda scored for Japan in the 43rd minute and Perisic scored for Croatia in the 55th. And they didn't score for anything else after that, not even an extra time. So they went to penalty kicks and after extra time Croatia won 3-1 a lot of people in my school were weeping because Japan lost because not only were to put it in more vulgar terms, apologies not only was half the school dick riding Brazil and South Korea because Brazil and K-pop so yeah, they were the weebs were kind of disappointed when Japan lost because I just told you why and yeah, that's basically it for Japan and Croatia. Another one was Brazil and South Korea. This was a beatdown. There's no other way to describe it. Every star scored in this match. Vinicius scored, Neymar scored, Richarlison scored, Paqueta scored. This is actually where the where that one TikTok with the dances came. And Paik Sing Ho scored for the lone goal for South Korea in the 76th minute. Overall, 4-1, not that pleasant of a match because it was a beatdown. A lot of people were, were wanted South Korea to win, but they did not have a chance. Like, Brazil was ranked number one at the time. They did not have a chance. And, yeah, that's basically it. Up next, Morocco and Spain. Another one of the surprising matches of this entire tournament. Morocco started their, their miraculous campaign in the knockout stages with this match. It remains nil-nil for the entire match. And... Yeah, I watched this one too. It was really heated. Like, they just went back and forth and they were making... Morocco, I remember, was making a lot of plays on defense. I think Bono did not concede any goals until the France game 
I think they, they conceded one goal, but Morocco is actually the, the country in this tournament that's conceded the least goals. Because I think it was only two matches in the entire tournament that Morocco played and they got scored against. Or free, who knows. But going into the knockout stages, they were really solid on defense. They played a lot of cool plays in defense. And aside from that, Spain wasn't really frilling on the offense. I mean, on the defense, so, yeah. A lot of mistakes from Morocco's offense, and a lot of really just denials from Spain's offense. So, yeah. And that nil-nil, and Hakimi scored the winning penalty for Morocco, and made it 3-0 to win the match on penalties. And, yeah, it's actually a really hysterical inside joke that Spain sucks at penalty kicks. Like... They've played like seven or eight matches and have won none on penalty kicks. And now for the last match of the knockout stage uh, round of 16, Portugal won against Switzerland 6-1. And this match was kind of expected to go like this, but not for the reason you might expect. So basically, um, going into the knockout stages, there was a bit of a little heated, little tension between the Portugal national team because... Um, in the South Korea match, Ronaldo was got a little bit mad with the coach because they benched him early or they didn't put him in the starting lineup or something, I don't know. And yeah, the coach, as punishment, did not put him into this match. And since they performed really well, winning 6-1 with Gonzalo Ramos, the other striker aside from Ronaldo, scoring the 17th minute, actually scored tri- twice. I mean, three times. He scored a hat-trick in this, in this match. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure that because the coach saw that Ronaldo's replacement scored three times, I'm pretty sure he was confident enough to put him on starting instead of Ronaldo in the next match. More on that in a second. Next match was actually probably the most famous, aside from the final, of course, out of the entire match. I mean, tournament. Because it's Croatia versus Brazil. Neymar um, scored, like I said, I'm looking at the scoreline and penalties right now, and this match was probably the most head-to-head one I've ever seen. They, the match was silent in the broadcast for a lot of the tournament. People were silent. They weren't even moving. They were silent. This was one of the most intense matches in, in like, yeah, in, in the cup. And for good reason. Um, since their victory in 2002, Brazil has only managed to reach the quarterfinals on like two or three separate occasions. They won once, and we all know how that went. Uh, I'm only gonna say one thing Germany. Yeah, basically, uh, Croatia and Brazil went head to head, and this match was tense because at the time Croatia was really highly ranked, and they still are, but yeah. They were going on with a lot of this momentum because they had a lot of star players on on their roster. They had Joseph Guardiol, who is still making the rounds as a good youngster, by the way. And a lot of other players, such as, such as Rakitic, Petkovic, and a lot of others have made the rounds recently. And yeah, they're here. So yeah, it was tense for the entire match. And Brazil opened the scoring 
in the 106 minute like 105 plus one and this extra time by the way they took an entire game plus a half of the extra time to score Neymar scored in the 105th minute and Petkovic probably scored the, the goal of his career what will probably go down as the goal of his career um, in the 117th minute with three minutes left and yeah basically um, went to penalties Brazil's not that good at penalties so yeah um So yeah, this is probably one of the most meme moments as well of the entire tournament. But uh, when all was said and done, Croatia made all four of their penalty kicks, and I forgot the name of the goalkeeper, but yeah, the Croatian goalkeeper made two key saves, including Marquinhos' left post miss. I don't think he saved that one, but he was there. He was there for it. Like... He was there for it, and the hole was there to be scored. But uh, Marquinhos hit the goalpost and cost Brazil their World Cup. They got eliminated, which probably upset the most people because, you know, uh, Brazil is the best at football stereotypically, and a lot of people were upset because of that. I, for one, was actually glad that Brazil lost because they have their head in the clouds, with that whole we're the best mentality, especially in the Premier League. And I don't have nothing against Brazil as a country. I love Brazil and I love the culture. But the team is a little over its head. I actually got kicked from a group chat because I celebrated Brazil's win when everyone else was weeping about it. And I didn't get added back until like two days later. So yeah, fuck you again. But yeah, aside from that, it's all good. Next up, Brazil. Netherlands, Argentina. And this is also probably one of the most... Actually, a lot of these matches were really close called because there were a lot of people who also said it was one of the best World Cups when memorably was not really, but they had a lot of good matches, including this one. Netherlands-Argentina was probably the closest Argentina came to losing the tournament. Yes, even closer than the final because uh, it went to penalties again. And... Yeah, Netherlands-Argentina, before this match, there was actually a lot of heat going on, because, um, I don't know if it was Louis van Gaal, the coach in Netherlands at the time, or someone else who said it, but basically, one of the coaches or representatives of the Netherlands team said that if the match goes to penalties, then Argentina will lose, that they will bring a fight to Argentina, and they did, but... Yeah, they pretty much ate their own shit. Because, yeah, in this match, um, Argentina led for most of the contest. Um, Molina scored in the 35th, make it 1-0. And in the 73rd, Messi scored from a penalty kick he got. And, yeah, a lot of people were saying Argentina was going to win because there were like 20-something minutes left and they were winning 2-0. But, you know, that wasn't the case in the World Cup for any match seems because Weghurst brought it back and scored in the 83rd and I'm pretty sure it was the last play of the match they had a corner kick or a free, no it was a free kick he scored a free kick because 
the kick went through the wall. It bounced around a little bit, and then Weghurst came from. Yeah, I don't think I don't I don't know if Weghurst was the one that came or it bounced off a player, but yeah, the goal was given to Weghurst and he scored in the hundred and eleventh minute. There was no extra time, by the way. I mean, hundred and first. Sorry, there was. I think there was extra time, but they didn't score in that in at all. Like they went to penalties and. Van Dijk and Bergheis both missed their opening penalties, while Messi, Paredes, and Montiel all made their win their opening penalties to make it free nil. I mean, free one for Argentina because Kupenmeier Miners actually scored his penalty. But then Enzo Fernandez missed his, and the match saver Veghurst and De Jong both made their penalties, which left Lautaro Martinez to make the winning penalty for Argentina or else they would be in trouble because they'd have to go for another round and it could get a, a lot more heated. Luckily he did and Argentina moved on. They won in penalties 4-3 to three, and it was the closest they ever came to losing. And Morocco won Portugal nil. This is also probably one of the most controversial matches because from that whole the Ronaldo spectacle in the Switzerland match um, the coach decided to not put him in the starting lineup at all. And this upset a lot of fans because, you know, Morocco was one of those up-and-coming teams and there was a lot of momentum for them to win. And, you know, Ronaldo could have done something about it. And, yeah, Inesri, um scored in the 42nd minute to make it 1-0 for Morocco. And Ronaldo was not put up there yet. A lot of people were asking for Ronaldo because the team was not looking in great shape. It wasn't until the 63rd, I think, minute that Ronaldo got put in the match. And he actually made a couple of chances too. He had one chance where he had like a top, no, like a bottom right corner, but Bono prevented it. But he had a really good chance. And yeah, he did the best he could in those minutes, but the coach should have just put him from the start because I know he wants to create a future where Ronaldo's not on the team because, you know, he is, he is growing old and there's a... There's going to be a time where he's not going to be on the team. But at the same time, he's there. Use him. So yeah, they, the coach ate his own shit and they lost 1-0 to Morocco. Who at the time was ranked 30-something, I'm pretty sure. Next up, England-France. France came back from beating Poland 4-1. Uh, or 3-1, I think it was. Which, by the way, Lewandowski scored his second World Cup goal in that last play of that match. And probably his last. Or not. Who knows. But yeah. Um, France won this match 2-1. Because Chumeni scored in the 17th. Vinjirud in the 78th. Halfway in between. Harry Kane scored in the 54th. Through a penalty kick. And England as always. Lost on penalties. Not because they went to penalties. But they lost because they had a chance to tie it with a penalty. And... Yeah, they missed the penalty. England misses the penalty. Pretty sure it's some. It, it's not. Oh, it's not new to see that England misses their penalties and Spain never wins in a penalty match. So yeah. Next up, the semifinals. From here on out, uh, I want to make it clear to some North American sports fans: the losers of the semifinals don't get knocked out straight away. The losers get pitted against each other 
in the third place match. So there's four teams right now, and the two teams that win go to the final, but the two teams that lose face off, and the one who wins gets third place. It's logical, so yeah, it's a feature in the World Cup and many other tournaments, including the recent. Um, forgot the name. Anyways, moving on. So yeah. Semi-finals, Argentina 3, Croatia 0. This is probably the greatest revenge match in the entire of tournament because back in 2018, in the group stages, Argentina faced Croatia and they won, no, they lost against Croatia 3-0, including goals from Modric. And yeah, it's a pretty regrettable time because Argentina ended up uh, losing to, I think it was France, Yeah, France. Um, yeah, they ended up losing to France in the round of 16. But yeah, Argentina scored three goals against Croatia to make it a perfect payback because they lost 3-0 that time and this time they won 3-0. Messi opened the scoring in the 34th with a penalty. And Julian Alvarez, who, if he was not as old as he is, should have won player of the young player of the match by the way because he was absolutely stellar for Argentina in this yeah in this tournament he he was absolutely stellar so yeah he scored in the 39th and 69th minutes by the way nice this match was one of those played at Lucille Stadium uh, the one that would intent eventually be used for the final And the other match of the semifinals, the heartbreak, uh, France won against Morocco, 2-0. Theo Hernandez scored in the 5th and Colomani in the 79th. More on Colomani later. Morocco didn't actually fuzz a lot when it came to them losing because given how they were in form at the time, they had the potential to win. Like, they had the potential to win against their current world champions, France. Which, by the way, France also broke... One of their um, broke a record because I'm pretty sure France is one of the greatest teams at the national level on paper and on the on the foot because not only did they win in 2018 the World Cup but they broke a curse. There's been a curse that every team that wins the World Cup in the next edition they don't get anything. They don't advance to anything. Spain won in 2010, and they lost in the knockout stages in 2014. Germany won in 2014, and they didn't make it out of the group stages in 2018. And France won in 2018, but they made it to the final in 2022. They made it to the final. In a way, in the match that we're about to detail, um, they didn't break the curse but at the same time they did because they didn't get knocked out of the tournament in the group stages so yeah third place match Croatia won a third place against Morocco completing their upset run against another upsetter ironically Daddy scored for Morocco in the ninth minute uh, and Guardiola scored for Croatia in the seventh and Odosic in the 42nd It was a pretty one-sided match because Croatia was dominating a lot of what was the offense. They had one of the most electric offenses in the tournament, and that is why probably they 
won this match specifically because Morocco's defense was an absolute unit. And yeah, that's pretty much it. This one was played as Khalifa International. And now, probably the most watched, actually no, the most watched and the greatest match in the entire tournament. Potentially the greatest final out of the tournament's history. December 18th, 2022, 6pm local time, Argentina versus France. One side hoping to get a World Cup trophy in the hands of the greatest of all time, Lionel Andres Messi Cuchitini. After losing eight years prior with the same player, with a new rejuvenized team, with better skills than the 2014 version, and just hoping to take it home for the first time in a lot of years. And France, the new fancy dandy bandwagon team, the team that is hoping to repeat as world champions and becoming the first team to do that since Brazil. I'm pretty sure it was Brazil. And yeah, they had a lot of electric players too, like Argentina. They had, they have Kylian Mbappe, they had Benzema, they had Kante. Kante played in this one, right? Yeah. Like Argentina, they had a bunch of uh, disappointments like Paul Pogba. And they also had some pretty good clutch players like Chumeni and Colomani. More on them later. So, yeah. The match goes on. Uh, Messi opens the scoring in the 23rd minute, by the way, 23, Emiliano Martinez, with a penalty kick. And. Di Maria follows soon after in the 36th minute. I remember that goal. That was probably one of the most well-orchestrated goals in the entire tournament. Uh, Messi runs across the field, literally bodying the France midfield, and then giving it to Di Maria in a clutch pass, and then just scoring that goal. That was probably one of the most cheered goals in the entire tournament, because it made Argentina win 2-0 in the World Cup final. Something they hadn't done since probably 1986. Hold on, let me look that up. Argentina versus West Germany. Nineteen eighty-six? What? No, this is the World Cup final. Okay. Looking for the World Cup final, not the 2014 final. They won three to two. They had not scored. More than one goal in a World Cup final since 1986. They played in 1990 in the World Cup final and they lost against West Germany, ironically, 1-0. So, yeah. Basically, um, Argentina were up 2-0 as of the 36th minute. And the rest of the match was actually pretty one-sided, at least at the first half. <coughs> Sorry. When the first half ended, I checked the stats. Argentina had done something like four to five hundred passes, like fifteen to six, probably eighteen shots, like seven shots on goal. And I saw how one-sided the stats were because France had no shots on goal, very minimal possession, no shots at all. Actually, I had no shots. When I say shots, I mean like jabs at the at the square. They had no shots, only passes and a little bit of a. Uh, of action or steals but 
no shots. They had zero shots against Argentina. It was like 14 or 15. But things turned around in the second half because Kylian Mbappe made a pep talk. I saw that video. And yeah, they were actually working their way around it. And they were actually making some pretty solid plays during the second half. And then came the famous turnaround. Reminder, Argentina was up 2-0 as of now. In the 80th minute, Kylian Mbappe scored in a penalty kick and made the match 2-1, Argentina winning. The next possession, the next possession, usually after a team scores a goal, they pass the ball to the other team and yeah, they keep playing. So France scores and then, Fran- and then Argentina gets the ball. France takes the ball. It only took them like four to five passes. Boom. Mbappe scored. Mbappe scored a second goal. Then very next minute. I kid you not, the, the card reads. Mbappe, 80th minute. Penalty. And then the 81st minute. Mbappe scored two goals in two minutes. To tie the match. You will never see that in any other part of the World Cup. Or world at all. Unless it's like... A molly walk between England and American Samoa or something. <coughs> two goals in two minutes. Against Argentina. And yeah, it was 2-2. Come the full time, they were tied to a piece. So then they went to extra time. And they had Argentina had another electric run and they and they had to shuffle around, they had to move past the midfield, they made a lot of, of good passes, and eventually they had to get, they had to juggle the ball a little bit, but Messi actually scored one of the most controversial goals in the tournament, because it was a pass, it was a, yeah, it was, an, it was a tap-in, that was then deflected by Joris, the goalkeeper of France at the time, and, and then it was deflected, so then another guy, I don't remember who it was, assisted Messi, and then he scored the goal because it went over the line a little bit. Like the goals, the rules are: if it goes over the line, it's a score. So yeah, they score. They make it three to two to Argentina with 12 minutes left. However, we know that Mbappe only had to get two minutes to score two goals. So yeah, I'm pretty sure Mbappe pretty much carried the entire t- team in this match because they pretty much did nothing else. I'm pretty sure Colomani and. Maybe Benzema were the only guys to actually do something about anything in this match. So, yeah. <coughs> Come the 118th minute, with two minutes left, they get they get a handball. Handball is when you touch the ball with the hand or wrist or the surrounding area. Um, from a corner kick, they managed to trick the Argentina front and Lautaro Martinez actually touched the ball with his wrist and that's a handball so they gave them a penalty kick they gave France a penalty kick this was actually controversial because I'm pretty sure it was Chouameni or Colomani that had a handball in a previous corner kick but they didn't count it for anything so yeah anyways penalty kick two minutes left of course it's Mbappe so he scores he becomes the only player since Georgie Best for England in 1966 to score three goals in one World Cup final. 
Georgie Best won the World Cup with England in 1966. And yeah, Mbappe scored a hat trick in this final. It's actually surprising. I'm actually surprised. No, no, I'm not that surprised. But yeah, moving on. Um, with two minutes left, it was probably one of the most intense parts of the entire tournament because it was pretty much one-sided against France. So France made a lot of the plays in this part of the match. There was one point where Argentina made themselves vulnerable and Mbappe had an open field, no defenders at all. He rushed towards the... He rushed towards the ball, I think, no, it was Mbappe, sorry, I remember it wrong. Mbappe was there, like he was around, but Colomuani had the ball, and yeah, he was right there in front, had an open field, of course the adrenaline gets to you, so he ran across the field, and only two people standing remotely close to him, the rest were far behind. So it's the decisive moment of the tournament, free to free. If he scores, it's over. France wins and Messi is done for. Colomuani, of course, he had two choices. He could either pass it to Mbappe, who would most likely score, given that the goalkeeper, Jaime Martinez, is in a position where he will probably fall down if he tries it because he's defending Colomuani, not Mbappe. He could pass it to Mbappe. Uh, like guaranteed score or he could go for the shot so he tried a volley shot he didn't try a volley shot he tried a floor shot and Emiliano had to act fast so he then has spread his legs did a split and blocked the ball with his left foot and that was probably the greatest save of all time in a World Cup final because if it were not for that Argentina would have lost and it's in the last minutes of the, of the entire match, and yeah, everything on the line. After this, I'm pretty sure an Argent uh, France player got it, but then he tried to pass it, but then an Argentina player got it, and he just swatted it away. After this, it was just two minutes, uh, like a minute of back and forth, and they went to penalties. Messi scored his penalty, and so did Mbappe. Uh, Dybala scored his goal as well, but Emi Martinez went. Debu mode, and he blocked Kingsley Coman's penalty. It was actually a moment of celebration because, hello, Argentina's winning in the final, in the penalties. You cannot be in a better position. So yeah, Paredes scored, and Chouameni like misses his. It misses his. So yeah, it's free to free at this point. It's Colomuani's turn. He almost scored against Debu too. Win it for France. So. He scores. It was a pretty close penalty, but he got it. But then, the national hero came along. And I'm not talking about Messi. Sure. Messi may be the poster boy for Argentina, he's done a lot for them, but in this final, the person who kicked the last ball to give Argentina the World Cup was none other than Gonzalo Montiel. Gonzalo Montiel, current player for Sevilla. A couple of months after this, I'm pretty sure, um, Montiel won the Europa League 
with Savita for the seventh time for the team. And yeah, after this, Gonzalo Montiel lined up. He gave a short, he gave a short penalty to the left. And yeah, the rest is history. Gonzalo Montiel scored against Hugo Lloris. He slowly shuffles to the right, takes off his shirt. And that's when most people realized Argentina have become world champions. That's right. Argentina won the World Cup for the first time in 36 years. And in no other fashion, it could have been a more fairytale ending. What will probably go down as the last or second to last cup for Lionel Messi. The long-awaited trophy. The one thing he was missing from his eternal cabinet of achievements. That includes domestic titles or international titles as of the last of us the last two years. And pretty much anything you can achieve as a player at any level. The one trophy he was truly missing for him was the World Cup. And when Monsalo Montiel scored that goal against Hugo Lloris, he had everyone in tears. At this point, friends were the villains of the story because they were the trendy team, they were the energetic team, and yeah, pretty much anyone who didn't know who Messi was was supporting France because bandwagon team. But the hearts of all, the hearts of everyone who knows the game of football, who knows the passion involved in it, and who knows the basic gist of the fact that it's called football and not soccer or calcio. Yeah. Pretty much everyone else supported Argentina because the French are stereotypically bad, goofy, dumb. And I'm nothing against France, I love the French people, but yeah. There's that. Argentina won 4-3 on penalties and 4-2 on penalties. The reason why I said they were closer to losing against Netherlands was because they, they won 4-3 instead of 4-2. And yeah. That's it. That's it for this tournament. As for the World Cup final, I'm going to give you the stats in a second. Yeah, it was played at the same stadium, like I said. I'm pretty sure it was somewhere around 5.5 million people in Buenos Aires when they won the World Cup that gave them the victory parade. 5.5 million, remember that. Taylor Swift's biggest crowd was 73,000. One guy kicked the ball and won one team a trophy, and they had 5.5 million people showing up. Those are big numbers. And yeah, December 18th, 2022. Remember, Argentina won 4-2 on penalties against France at Lusail Stadium in Qatar. Man of the match was given to Lionel Messi, for obvious reasons. Simon Marciniak was the referee from Poland. 88,966 people attended. It was partly cloudy, some surprisingly. And as for the honors involved in the tournament, player of the match was also given to Messi. And the golden boot, who which is given to the one who scores the most goals, was given to Mbappé because it was a head-to-head fight with Messi and Mbappé over who would get the trophy. 
but um, Messi ended up getting it. Mbappé ended up getting it because he scored one more goal than Messi. I mean, hello. They literally scored against each other in this in this tournament a lot of times. In that match specifically. And, yeah. Goalkeeper of the tournament went to Emi Martinez. And, player of the match, I mean, young player of the tournament went to Enzo Fernandez. And, that's just that. That's just how it is. So, yeah. Fairy tales go off. And, fireworks go off. And after that, the Fairy Tale World Cup comes to an end. So, yeah. That's pretty much it for the tournament. As for the aftermath, um, FIFA, FIFA, the best awards came shortly after. Uh, Messi won the best award, obviously. And, fun fact, Argentina actually sweeped these awards. Messi won the best player. Divo Martinez won the best goalkeeper. Lionel Scaloni won the best coach. And, yeah, pretty sure that's it. I don't know who the young player was, but I'm pretty sure it was Argentina's too. I don't know. So yeah, that's basically it. Um, <coughs> a lot of people have retired from that tournament, from the international teams after that. Um, Luka Modric, I'm pretty sure, um, had talks about retiring. I don't know if that's true. But I'm pretty sure right after the tournament, Hugo Lloris, the French goalkeeper, decided he was going to retire. And yeah, there's that. So did Sergio Ramos from the international team, by the way. And that's that. So, yeah. Thank you for tuning in into probably one of our longest sports episodes. Uh, pretty sure we are recording this. Um, yeah. We're recording this, as I said earlier, a lot after the World Cup actually happened. But there's a lot of good things that are coming soon. The League's Cup is coming soon, um, and there have been rumors about where Messi's going to end up playing. I think I don't think I don't know if Messi's Argentina signing has been confirmed because I mean Argentina signing, my bad. Inter Miami signing has been confirmed because I'm recording this at a different date. Like I think it was a couple of minutes after. Khalid left that I kept on recording but aside from that I have no clue about where Messi will end up but wherever he does end up let's hope it's one for the ages because I don't something tells me that Messi winning the World Cup he's not gonna stop here he's gonna keep on winning things whether it be with Argentina or whether it be with whatever other team um, he ends up playing with at the domestic level let's just hope he keeps on growing that cabinet because he's already proved to the world that he's the greatest of all time. But let's just hope he continues his career and finishes it as a happy man. So yeah, that's been that for the episode. Um, I've been Pancakes, your host of the episode, and Khaled sends his regards. But aside from that, thanks for tuning in. Goodbye.